0: Turning in your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter thirty one. Proverbs chapter thirty one. We want to read at verse eight. Open thy mouth for the dumb and the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth. Judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to See the message that is contained in these verses, a message that relates to the world that we're living in right now, but more importantly, a message that relates in the world which is to come. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the time of year when we Think about abortion. We do that in this month of January because it was on January the 22nd, 1973, that the United States Supreme Court, in decision that we know very well, Roe v. Wade, made abortion legal in this country. So we focus our attention on this Holocaust. It's how Pastor Kelly referred to it in his book, Abortion, The American Holocaust. We focus our attention on it all during the year, but particularly this month. That's why we've come to these verses in Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. John Phillips. Points out in his book on Proverbs that the book of Proverbs begins with the wise words of a father and ends with the wise words of a mother. My son," said the father in Proverbs one eight. "My son," said the mother in Proverbs thirty one and verse two. The words of verses 8 and 9 come from God through a mother, Bathsheba. The words of verses 8 and 9 come from the heart of God and they are expressed through the heart of a mother, Bathsheba, to her son Solomon. And these words were written aforetime for our learning. Open thy mouth for the dumb. The dumb, those who are unable to speak for themselves. That's what the word dumb means. Open thy mouth for the dumb in the case of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously. Judge righteously. Righteous judgment is needed in this hour. Righteous judgment needs to be defended in this hour. The righteous judgment of this book that tells us that life begins at conception. In Genesis 4 and verse 1, we read about the first pregnancy in history. And we read there, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. There are two things in that verse that we want to think about. Notice that Eve said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. At this first birth, Eve understood where children come from, they come from the Lord. God, and God alone, is the giver of life. Adam and Eve understood. I believe they understood that very well. I believe they understood it because God taught them. They understood and they believed Genesis 2-7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life And man became a living soul. That ties directly into the second important word in Genesis 4.1, and that is the word conceived. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Why did the Lord tell us that at the first pregnancy? Why didn't He just say, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she bare Cain? Why is it important for him to tell us that she conceived? Well, one reason is because the word conceived means to be with child. At the moment of conception, Eve and every woman since has been with child. With child. Not a fetus. Despise that word. Not a blob of tissue. A child. Another reason is that this word conceived means to form. In Genesis 2.7, we just mentioned that verse, tells us that God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. At the forming... At the conception of Adam and Eve for that matter, at that very moment, God breathed into His nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. At the conception, at the forming of Cain and Abel, at that very moment, God breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. And Cain and Abel, Became living souls. Adam and Eve understood what David would later write in Psalm 139 and verse 16. The Creator God, through David, tells us about the miracle of a child being created. In Psalm 139 and verse 16, we read concerning every child Thine eyes did see my substance. Yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned. We've talked on a number of occasions how that word fashioned is exactly the same word formed in Genesis 2 and verse 7. When God formed, when God conceived Adam, when Cain and Abel were conceived, immediately, He breathed into their nostrils the breath of life and they became a living soul. God is no respecter of persons. He did not do something special for them that He has not done for you and me and every child that has ever been born or conceived in this world. When a baby is conceived in the womb of the mother immediately as He did with Adam... As he did with Eve, as he did with Cain and Abel and every baby since, God breathes into that child's nostrils the breath of life. And that child becomes a living soul. (coughs) That's why, over and over here in the Word of God, beginning here at the first pregnancy, we read these words and she conceived, and she conceived, and she conceived. Because God wants to make it abundantly clear that is when the life of the child begins. That's when the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ began. When He stepped out of eternity into time. Luke 2, beginning in verse 30 says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary. For thou hast found favor with God and behold thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Mary asked how can these things be and and the angel explained to her how they can be. The Holy Ghost was going to come upon her. And at the moment of conception when the Holy Ghost came upon Mary and the power of the highest overshadowed her, at that moment of conception, God, not a fetus, not a blob of tissue, God was manifest in the flesh. And what took place in the life of Mary is a picture of what takes place when men and women and young people today lay down their rebellion and repent and turn to God from their sin. The Holy Ghost comes upon us. The power of the highest overshadows us and what is conceived in us at that moment is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The miracle of conception... The miracle of the forming of life in the womb is a picture of the miracle of salvation. This is why abortion is so important to the devil. It's why it's so important to those he controls. It's why it's so important to the principalities and the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. Abortion takes away life as God creates it. It's an attack. It's an attack upon the message of the Gospel if you think about it. It's the ultimate expression of humanism. Man in the place of God. Man deciding who lives and who dies. Abortion emancipates and frees women and men to cast off the bands of the Word of God and be their own God and go their own way and do their own will. The power of life, the power over life is something that humanism relishes this is why God through Bathsheba. This woman who was pro-life. I think about Bathsheba. This woman who conceived through an adulterous relationship while her husband was deployed to war. This woman who conceived through an adulterous relationship not with just any man, but with the king of Israel. And it would have been far easier for her to have aborted this child and avoid the national scandal and avoid the national disgrace that came. But what did Bathsheba do? She sent and told David, I am with child. I am with child. Bathsheba was pro-life. And God uses this pro-life mother to tell her son, Open thy mouth for the dumb and the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. I suggest to you that there are no more poor or weak. There are no more needy. There are no more who are in need of help and deliverance than babies in the womb who are dumb, who are incapable of speaking for themselves and who are in this nation and in this world appointed to the destruction of abortion. This is why during this month, every year, we put up the flags here on the property. 2,600 of them. To represent, as the signs say, the number of babies who are murdered every day in this country. And in a larger sense, to call attention to the 64 million babies who have lost their lives to abortion in this country since 1973. This is one way of opening our mouths for the dumb in the calls of all such as are appointed to destruction. This is one way of opening our mouths and judging righteously, putting forth the righteous judgment These 2,600 babies are children made in the image of God. It's one way of opening our mouths and pleading the cause of the poor and needy. Another way that we do that is by going to a march. Like yesterday in Raleigh. I want to thank all of you who prayed for the march and who went. We were able to take our van and and a number of people drove up in their own cars. This church was very well represented there. These marches are very important in the war. And that's what it is. There's a war over abortion in this country. And the war has shifted from a one front war to a two-front war. Up until June 24th of last year, the battle was on one front. It was a national battle because Roe versus Wade was the law of the land and it had been for over 49 years. But on June 24th of last year, the Supreme Court in the Dobbs versus Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi Women's Health Organization overturned Roe v. Wade and returned the responsibility for lawmaking concerning abortion to the states. Well, it should have been all along. But I want to emphasize the two-front nature of this war. There's still a national war over abortion. In February of last year, The United States Senate attempted to vote on the Women's Health Protection Act that would have put Roe v.ersus Wade and made it the law of the land. The bill had already passed the House in September of 2021. But the Democrats in the Senate could not come up with the 60 votes that were necessary to force a vote of the whole Senate. They tried again last May Uh, after uh, you remember that a draft of the majority decision in the Dobbs case that was written by Justice Samuel Alito, that was leaked. Interesting to me, they have still never found the person that leaked it. Justice Alito stated that, quote, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. And therefore, Justice Alito said, it is time to heed the Constitution. Imagine that. And return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. And the elected representatives that he's referring to are our state representatives. And so when that was leaked, Senate Democrats tried again to pass this Radical Women's Health Protection Act that would allow abortion anytime. time Right up to birth. But again, they failed to come up with the 60 votes they needed. See, what they were attempting to do with abortion is exactly what they were successful in doing uh, right at the end of November last year with the help of 12 Senate Republicans and 39 Republicans in the House. Uh, They passed the uh, Respect for Marriage Act, which... Made uh, which put uh, same-sex marriage into federal law and made it the law of the land and it preempted any overturning of the Obergefell decision that legalized same-sex marriage. This is what they want to do with abortion. And you can rest assured that the Democrats are not going away on this issue of abortion. We're one election away from them being able to do it. And so the war (coughs) on abortion remains national. We saw that again last week. Actually, this week. One of the first things that the House Republicans did after they disbanded their circular firing squad over electing Kevin McCarthy Speaker is they passed H.R. 26, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. To protect babies who are born alive after a failed abortion, they have to receive medical care. There was only one Democrat who voted with the Republicans. That was Representative Henry Henry Cuellar from Texas. The other House Democrats, as Dr. Beatty said, if you got his email, voted that if a child survived an abortion procedure, that child should be left to die without medical Intervention. But let's bring that a little closer home. North Carolina now has 14 members in the U.S. House, seven Republicans, seven Democrats. All seven Republicans voted for this bill. Our representative, Richard Hudson, voted for it. All seven Democrats voted against it. One of those Democrats was Don Davis, the former state senator who was just elected to Congress from the 1st Congressional District last November. Now, why bring up Congressman Davis? Because in 2019, there was a similar bill passed by the North Carolina legislature, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Of course, Governor Cooper vetoed the bill. When the override vote came up in the state Senate, the Republicans needed one Democrat to vote to override the governor's veto. If they could get one Democrat, then the bill would survive, it would be overridden by the Senate, and then it would be sent to the House to be voted on. The Republicans got that vote from Democrat State Senator Don Davis. But this week, Democrat congressman Don Davis could not show the same courage and conviction in Washington as he did in Raleigh. The sad thing is that that Representative Davis is a minister. A minister. A minister who by his vote believes a child surviving An abortion should just be left on the table to die without any medical intervention. Now I mention this because this is the pressure. This is the pressure of the national war over abortion on our elected officials. Tremendous pressure placed upon them, particularly upon those who have been pro-life in some measure in the past. We don't do that up here. You don't need to vote like that up here. You need to go along to get along. Now, I would encourage you to write, Representative Davis. Call out his change in the stand that he took for life in Raleigh. Now, he's not our representative. But the votes of these people don't vote in a vacuum. They don't vote and then it just impacts the first congressional district in North Carolina. The votes of these men and women have an impact on our lives, all of our lives, and the lives of the unborn. We also need to contact our senators. Senator Tillis and Senator Budd asked them to support this bill that the Republican House passed. The war is still raging on the national front. The March for Life in Washington. Is this coming Friday? It's about to heat up here in North Carolina. House Speaker Tim Moore on the first day of his legislative session Uh, Said that the House will take up abortion this year. He said that Senate President Phil Berger supports a ban after 13 weeks. And Moore indicates that there's a lot of support for that position in the House. Current law bans abortions after 20 weeks. But in the article I read, Speaker Moore went on to use a word that ought to make us a little nervous. And that's the word comprehensive. He wants to work on abortion and the issues that surround it. Adoption and health care for expectant mothers and children. And that's all well and good. But let's vote on abortion. Period. Let's find out where you stand. The word comprehensive usually causes my mind to drift toward another word that begins with a C. And that's compromise. I have an idea. Let's ban abortion in this state, period. I'm quite serious about this. Let the Republicans put down that marker. The Democrats aren't afraid to put down their markers in fact, the Democrats put down their marker on abortion in twenty seventeen when they proposed the whole Woman's Health Act. It's amazing how these people use this language to disguise what they want to do. The whole woman's health act that would legalize abortions up to birth. As long, as long as it's performed by a physician. The Democrats want to remove the requirement that abortions be limited to medical emergencies after 20 weeks. The only requirement that they have for late-term abortion would be that a physician must carry out the procedure. In addition, doctors would not be required to record a reason for abortion after 20 weeks. This is the Democrat position. And here are the Republicans proposing to re- reduce that time that an abortion can be done from 20 weeks to 13 weeks. Can I show you a picture of what they're proposing? I don't know if the camera can zoom in on this. This first picture is a baby at 18 weeks. Right now, here in North Carolina, that baby could be killed because the ban on abortion doesn't start until after 20 weeks. Now, get this picture in your mind. Now, I want you to look at this picture. This is a baby. Does it look like a baby to you? This is a baby at 11 weeks of life. I don't know if the camera can zoom in on this, but if the Republicans get a 13-week ban on abortion, then according to them, it's okay to kill this baby. And others up to 13 weeks. Now let me ask you a question to think about. Which one of these babies made in the image of God, which one of these babies that God formed and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life, which one of these babies that is a living soul would you vote to kill? What's the difference, folks, between 20 weeks and 13 weeks? I suggest to you that the difference is just words and feelings, but no substance. And the Republicans talk about 13 weeks and act like this is some wonderful thing that they're doing. Folks, it's not. Let's start with zero abortions now someone's going to say you'll never get that Okay, but you'll never get it if you don't start there if we have to make allowance for the physical life of the mother not the mental life not because some woman is upset because she's pregnant no no if you make allowance for the physical, the mortal life of the mother, that is 1.14% of the abortions. If we have to make allowance for rape or incest, it's almost non-existent, but that's 0.39% of the abortions. So if we start with zero abortions, and we have to accept these uh, uh, these. Uh, allowances, these exceptions, then we'll eliminate 98.5% of abortions that are done for convenience, that are done for birth control. But folks, we will never get there if we start with 13 weeks as a base and then add the exceptions in and then pat ourselves on the back like we've done something. This is the battle that we're going to face this year in the state legislature. And we need to engage in it. We need, excuse me, we need to be in touch with our representatives right now. Tom McInnes, we need to steady his wings. Ben Moss seems to be solid on pro-life. We need to let him know how we feel. We need to engage in the battle. We need to heed the words of God spoken through this pro-life mother, Bathsheba. Open thy mouth for the dumb, and the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. But there's another message about life in these two verses. It's the most important message of life that there is. It's a message about eternal life. It's a message about the glorious gospel of Christ. You and I are described in these two verses. We're dumb. We are unable to speak in defense of ourselves. To God. We have no defense. And it's like that because we read in Romans chapter three and verse nineteen. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. Every mouth may be stopped. That's dumb, isn't it? That's being dumb. That's being unable to speak, because we have no defense. Because we're guilty before God, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. We're poor and needy. That's how God describes us in Revelation chapter three and verse seventeen. Thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. No wonder David described himself and described us in Psalm 40 and verse 17. But I am poor and needy. So here we are, dumb and poor and needy. And the result is that we are appointed to destruction. We are appointed to destruction. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6 and verse 23 says this, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Death. Destruction. We are appointed to destruction. It is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment... This is where we are. But we don't have to stay here. This is where we see the glorious gospel of Christ in these verses. The plan of God from eternity past was for His only begotten Son to open His mouth for the dumb. To open His mouth and plead the cause of the poor and needy. That's why the Lord Jesus came into this world. He pled the cause of the poor and needy by becoming poor and needy. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay His head. That's poor and needy. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor. He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. The Lord Jesus opened His mouth for the dumb. And He said in John 3 and verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And He was lifted up on the cross of Calvary where He opened His mouth for the dumb. He said, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? That's opening His mouth for those who are unable to speak. And the reason that God forsook His Son is because on the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus took the destruction that is appointed to us, He took it on Himself. He was appointed to destruction in our place. The Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He hath put Him to grief. Thou shalt make His soul an offering for sin. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed." Because the Lord Jesus opened His mouth for the dumb. Because He said, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Because He took the destruction that was appointed to us. He could open His mouth for the dumb on the cross of Calvary and say, It is finished. It is finished. Because He had offered one sacrifice for sins forever because He opened His mouth for the dumb, now we can come to the Lord Jesus. And we can open our mouth. And from a broken and a contrite heart over our sin, we can open our mouth and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And He will open His mouth and say, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He will open His mouth and say, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth My word and believeth on Him that sent Me hath everlasting life. That's what we're talking about. Life this morning. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's the message of the glorious Gospel of Christ. And we see it right here in these two verses. And you can believe it this morning. Right where you are. You can put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You for this glorious book that gives us and tells us exactly what we need to know. What we need to know about life and when it begins. What we need to know about opening our mouth for the millions of babies in this country who are appointed to destruction, who are dumb, they can't speak for themselves, who are poor and needy and helpless. And we pray that we would be faithful to do that. And Father, over and above that, there's another message of life. The light of life, the life and light of the glorious gospel of Christ. We thank You that the Lord Jesus opened His mouth for us there on the cross. That He was separated from you because of our sin. And that He finished the work of salvation. And now, He will save to the uttermost all who come to God by Him. We thank You for these things and we pray that You would speak to our hearts concerning them today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.